This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. This is episode 150, believe it or not. And with me, as always, to celebrate this monumental occasion is my very good friend and co-host, Eric O'Branson. Eric, how are you? Good. I can't believe we've done 150 episodes of this podcast. I mean... I, I can't believe that there's a chance that there's somebody out there who has listened to 150 episodes really? of us talking about God knows what. You think there's a chance that somebody did that besides us? Like, <laughs> even Actually, if it's us, <laughs> that's not even a hundred percent true. I've heard, I've probably heard like ninety nine percent, but I think uh, you know, there is a one episode here or there where I just you know didn't get to double checking or whatever. You know, we do every week quality checking yeah. them, edit checking them, and uh, so I don't even think I've probably heard every single episode of this podcast. Very close, but. So right. if anyone out right. there has, um, you're doing better than me. So, <laughs> yeah. But well, yeah, I know so... we talked a little bit about this before we recorded, but uh, I understand you you did some some yard work this this weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, my exciting life. That's how we celebrated. It was Mother's Day, and for my you know to make my wife's day, we uh, went outside and cut down some trees and did some yard work and pulled some shrubs and junk out of our yard so fun fun so yeah it's, it's simply like for mother's day the family and i went camping and i pretty much spent the entire time barbecuing yeah that, but, that actually sounds fun though <laughs> but there's a, there's something of like a relationship here this is a super easy segue when usually we have to fucking force it and that is you were using a chainsaw and i was barbecuing no, that's right. That's right. And I didn't even mention just... the chainsaw, but hey, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So you know, using using power tools and barbecue—it's almost like we're gonna talk about. Yeah, and it also Which... happens to be the hundred and fiftieth episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast, so we had to do something momentous to celebrate, right? And uh, act, yeah, you know, pull in one of the uh, one of the. I guess I would say all-time classic cult films, and you, and I guess people would argue because this is one, you know, anyone who's even a little bit interested in um, horror cinema has probably looked this one up at some point, but certainly started off as a cult movie, right? So I, I think it yeah. uh, it definitely counts. And <laughs> Well, you know, and, and something I think that since we've been doing this now for God, a couple of years... Um, you know, the original idea for our podcast, as we've said many, many times before, was like the movies that are kind of forgotten or essentially my my vision for it was you say the name of this movie and have somebody go, oh, God, I haven't thought about that in years. That's the movies we want. I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like this one falls in there. Maybe not for you and I, because this <laughs> right. is a pinnacle film, but... I for think your for average a lot of film viewer, yeah, I think so. And uh, but this one it comes with a lot of accolades, and um, yeah, it, and of course it's got a whole franchise behind it. But 
right. which has a new film coming out shortly uh, this year sometime. So. Yeah, that's what I understand. So tonight we are going to be celebrating the 150th episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast with the 1974 American slasher film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What happened was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. as real, just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. So, do you remember the first time you saw this one? Absolutely. And it's funny that it's kind of cemented in my brain, but um, I saw it when my band was touring. Uh, we were playing with a, uh, a band called the Eggnogs in Iowa. We did like four or five shows with them. And one night we were at their, they were based out of a town called Ottumwa in uh, Iowa. And uh, we were crashing at their place. And dude, uh, the guy who played drums in the band uh who, whose house we were at was also actually a um a independent filmmaker in his own right so he had made some movies he had to like he had kind of explained to us when he went into his house like hey don't freak out i'm not a serial killer like there's blood and plastic on a bunch of stuff but it's because we were shooting a movie and uh, so like uh <laughs> kind of walked into it was also like a, a moment where like i thought i i mean i was right at the right age where I was starting to try to decide like what I wanted to do with my life. So maybe this guy even helped kind of push me into the, you know, deciding like, Hey, this looks really cool. I, I would like to make movies as well. But, um, so yeah, yeah, a little like editing studio. And then he had a, you know, his whole kitchen was ripped up cause they were shooting something in there. And, uh, we got to talk in horror movies cause obviously I was already a big fan and the, the, like uh-huh. the three of us in the band and, and some of the people, just started chatting horror movies when we were hanging out after the show and it came up somehow um texas chainsaw massacre he asked a question asked us a question about it i said oh believe it or not i've actually never seen it and it immediately went you've never seen it i'm gonna grab it and put it on like right now you have to watch this movie how can you call yourself a horror fan you know all that kind of stuff and uh they put it on and we watched it and that was the first time i ever saw texas chainsaw oh wow and left quite an impression yeah it's uh I, it managed to I managed to keep me awake on the last night of this like it was a short tour we were only out for eight days but 
um, just exhausted, right, by the last, like, um, and I managed to stay up and watch this whole movie. I think I was one of two of us, and the other guy, the drummer from the band that put it on, I think was the other dude that was, you know, still awake when the thing got over, so. But <laughs> Oh, wow. Was, uh, uh, this... Anyway, yeah, so a really distinct memory of my first viewing, but. That's really cool. Um, gosh, I think I saw this one when I was in late grade school or great late grade school early middle school <laughs> um i was staying over at my aunt's house and we rented a bunch of movies and it was one of those like yeah you can watch whatever you want kind of a things and um i had always wanted to see it just because the name alone in the in the 80s and 90s was it's it's a it's kind of an absurd title you know mm-hmm. like it it's it's silly in a way um but I knew it was this. It's big... very exploitation-y. <laughs> it is, and and it was something that had caught my attention, and I watched it, and I had been told it was so scary, and as a kid, I watched it and was like, "Eh, it's fine, it's weird." Um, and then I remember in like I think it was middle school, I picked up a few issues of Fangoria, and there was a, an ad on one of the pages for like these really cool detailed statues you could buy of various horror icons. And one of them was Leatherface. And s- that night I happened to have a nightmare about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just totally random. And it was so goddamn real that I had a hard time watching this movie for a long time. <laughs> uh, it, it, it wasn't until college that I was available like, okay, I'm this, I'm going to sit and watch this thing. I'm going to get a copy of it. And it's it's gone on to become one of my favorite uh, horror yeah. films, and I will say, like usual, having seen it a ridiculous number of times, watching it the other night for this episode, uh, God, I'm still noticing things about it, and I'm still impressed with it. And in case anybody Same, has yeah. not ever seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre before. Uh, a very, very quick synopsis. Uh, the film follows a group of friends who fall victim to a family of cannibals while on their way to visit an old homestead. And that's pretty much it. it, it I mean, yeah, there's a little more to it, but not much. Not um, much. <laughs> and it also surprised me watching it this time how it's a pretty short film. It is. What does it run? It's it's like 90 minutes-ish, maybe. Maybe not even 80-something. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, 83 minutes. And it really doesn't yeah. get going until halfway through. Yeah, I, that's one of the things I wrote down right away. Like, I always forget every... I think it's because of how effective the latter part of the film is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I forget about how much of a slow burn it is. Um, I think it works well that way because I think it's set up very well. Like, it's very carefully... The pieces are very carefully put together. And so when it when it really hits, it hits. And it's... Um, yeah. It breaks the, you know, idyllic summer afternoon feeling of the, the first part of the film. Um and really really breaks it in a disturbing way so it's it's but yeah i forget that like nearly half of the film um is all set up to that moment so yeah and and like so the the film basically follows uh this girl named sally and her brother franklin and their friends jerry kirk and pam and they're all in a I think it's a Volkswagen van. Volkswagen bus, yeah, I think so. And yeah, and they're 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 in rural Texas because they'd been hearing some things on the news about vandalism and grave robbing. And so they go to this cemetery to see if their grandfather, Sally and, and Franklin's grandfather's grave is okay. And it seems to be fine. But while they're in that part of Texas, they decide to go check out this old family farmstead, which is pretty much abandoned. 
Yeah, and, and the, the place like you know Franklin and Sally have some like childhood memories of running around there as a kid at Grandpa's farm kind of thing. So, right, and they pick up a hitchhiker who is totally crazy and scares the hell out of him, and so they throw him out of the van after he cuts himself and cuts Franklin with a knife. And <laughs> it's just it's it's such a I don't know I mean. It, there's so many things that happen in this movie where you're just like, hello, they're telling you to leave. Like, yeah. after that happened, I'd be like, we're done. Yeah, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. They stop at the gas station, and the old man's like, where are you trying to go? Nah, nobody wants you running around their property. Why don't you guys just get out of here? Yep. Oh, they, oh, they do that, too. So it it is... And I think that's one of the things that you see as this is one of the first movies uh, where that trope became so common then in horror after yeah. this. Well, and, and I think uh, we find out later his name is Drayton Sawyer. I don't think we were ever told that in this, uh, but the old man um, mm-hmm. who runs the barbecue stand who kind of tries to warn them off um, is uh, kind of the predecessor of the You're Doomed character in every you know, they well, hit literally in Friday the 13th. That's where they get that from. Uh, yeah. But you know, that, that pops up in so many like slasher type, you know, even, even ghost ghostly type supernatural film, horror films. There's always, you know, the weird old man that at the gas station who tells yeah. him not to go. And yeah, he's, yeah. he's in this one. And, um, God, there's a couple of things though. This movie may have single handedly, I think, uh, ended, um, hitchhiking as a safe form of travel because, uh, who would ever want to pick up a hitchhiker after watching this thing? So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's. I mean, the, Edwin, Edwin the, Neal, I think, is the actor that yeah. plays a, a just an effectively creepy, crazy, I don't know, Mansonite esque character that just yeah. Yeah. Um. And then so it's the 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 family, right? The the, the creepy cannibal family is the hitchhiker. It is the guy from the gas station, <laughs> yep. and it's also uh the 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 most famous character of this Leatherface, who is this large, hulking, mute, um, kind of mentally not all there. Well, none of them are, but uh, a yeah, guy yeah. who wears human faces as masks. Yeah. And and one and, thing I didn't really put together the first couple times I saw this, I don't think, is it's, a, it's more than just human faces. He's got, like, whole get-ups. Like, they're all kind of themed. Um, yeah. in one way like he's got the butcher outfit is your classic leather face you see a picture of leather face that's like the butcher's smock with the face mask just the kind of leather mm-hmm. skin face mask um I, I saw something i was reading referred to that as his butcher's yep outfit but then yeah he's got like his <laughs> i called it his julia child look yeah um, the mother's doing yep. yeah he's doing uh the cooking um <laughs> i think it's just because he's a big hulking man and in, in uh mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of julia but um and then yeah just a, a different one yet with the uh suit and tie later in the film as well so and, yeah he's and got like one, for, yeah yeah some different get-ups so he's not only borrowing you know people's flesh but also their clothes like he's putting on their personalities a bit in a way too because the way Gunnar Hansen the actor who played Leatherface in it um and I'm sure this is you know down to Kim Hankel and Toby Hooper mm-hmm. as well but he takes on different personality traits a bit like um he always kind of had his like kind of grunty um I don't know if it's kind of a, a, a little bit of laughter like the in like the way he he doesn't speak much but mm-hmm. he kind of grunts and groans and laughs and but Giggles, uh, yeah. when he's in the like mother kind of get up that becomes feminine 
<laughs> and so he in a way he's you know he's doing like some cross-dressing there's some which they're going to play on big time in a later sequel but uh yeah well and then the so. the dinner scene there's a famous dinner scene in this one where he's wearing yet another mask that's like got makeup on it he's wearing a suit and a tie but he's mm-hmm. the mask has like makeup that's known as the pretty woman face it's like you're dressing up to go to dinner yep. um there's a deleted scene of him going through a basket of different faces uh, yeah, I think I've seen the... one out. Yeah, um, it's it, but you never see him with it off. Now they may have done that in the remakes and stuff, which we'll talk about more in a bit. But yeah, they this one is the original. Um, God, there's a lot of things to talk about with this one. There are some <laughs> absolutely incredible shots, cinematography-wise, in this film. Yeah, this um, is um, for being a low-budget, you know cult move go on become cult and eventually um well-respected film because when it first came out it certainly wasn't it was pretty pretty uh just say 50 50 on its response but probably not even that positive but um but yeah for what it is it's it's a really well-made movie and even you know not just the the cinematography but right down to the like intellectual way i think that they they pace the film um like we talked about the the first part of it being a slow burn but there's this this uh, increasing sense of dread like the whole time as they kind of get closer to to the conflict with the you know cannibalistic family that they run into later to be known as the sawyers um they yeah it, it just the like the movie itself changes the style of editing the style of cinematography the style of direction in the scenes um even the style of performance um to but to the point where we reach the the, din- the aforementioned dinner scene where it's become this kind of twisted funhouse mirror um version of the film it was before like it's just it, it style-wise it goes crazy and i've always likened um and i've read this in other places i'm sure i did not come up with this idea but i couldn't i couldn't find a, i don't have something to um actually cite my source but i think the um dinner scene is kind of a twisted alice in wonderland-esque tea party, tea party. Um, yep. yeah take off and it's just man is it is it weird in such a good way like but it works so well and it makes you start to feel that like just crazy <laughs> i don't know all you, the stuff that's going on around sally in this thing yeah uh sally played by marilyn burns just she she breaks at the end she goes absolutely insane and mm-hmm. um you're with her the whole way because this is just complete madness um and they're taunting her it, it it's it's so it, it is it's very brutal like you know this movie was was banned in some countries um you know there really isn't much gore though for no. as uh, for the reputation that it has there's probably literally a couple of tablespoons of blood yeah um yeah. it's really not much you don't one really of the goriest things that i remember and it is actually when leatherface falls or is shoved by the truck driver at the end and cuts into his own leg yeah um and you see some viscera and blood in when he from the you know chainsaw mm-hmm. wound but that's other about than that, it. there's not there's much for blood. Bit. That's true. There's not much actual like gore effects in the movie. No, um, there's but not. it's oh. certainly intense, and there's a lot of implied horrific violence. Um, Even the cannibalism is Im- yeah implied as well. 
vaguely implied, I would say, because there's there's some really cool pickup shots in this when in the beginning there's so much foreshadowing. Like mm -hmm. this movie is just a beautiful example of foreshadowing. They're driving down the road and they talk about how they smell something bad. Oh, it's that slaughterhouse. Yeah. And the camera just cuts to a f about 30 seconds of just cattle crammed in in a slaughterhouse yard, a stock. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and I was going to bring this up as this movie very much being about meat. <laughs> like, yes. Certainly. Yeah. yeah um, in fact, I heard a rumor that, and I'm not sure how true it is, that one of the working titles for this was Head Cheese. Now, yeah, um, that was the working yeah. title. I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing came later. Um, mm -hmm. Probably from a promotional standpoint, it was a better title, more catching. But yeah, but there's there's a there's the shot of that, and yet also then it's it's kind of matched up with really beautiful scenery of like rural Texas. You know, it's like you're watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's a field of daisies. Yeah, beautiful daisies. It's just like really really strange um but yeah the there's a there's also a classic shot a really really classic shot of um one of the characters uh pam mm -hmm. and she's sitting on a swing in front of the house and she hears a noise and the camera she gets up and you, you you're you see her back and she's wearing a a tank top or a, a top where you see her fully exposed back and she's walking up to the house. The camera goes underneath the seat of the swing and goes up above her mm -hmm. as she's walking forward. And it's it's an incredible shot. And it's also foreshadowing because she soon meets Leatherface and ends up with her back impaled on a meat hook. Yep. Which they never really show. I mean, you see the back, you see the meat hook, you see him pick her up and put her down and her, you know groaning and stuff but but. it's foreshadowing and it's also you know to help your imagination later when because they're not going to show the meat hook actually penetrate her body no, but no. you're going to feel it nonetheless <laughs> like and it's you do. just like yeah and you do so. um yeah so this this one and then there's moments of just silence and quiet like you know leatherface does this and he beats somebody with a hammer and then he just kind of sits there and scratches his head and mm -hmm. it, it gunner hansen really nailed terrifyingly crazy in this yeah um they all do all the characters do yeah um they all include i was gonna say they, including the oldest brother uh in it you know played by uh edwin not uh, jim seedow yeah jim seedow yep this, and this, um this disturbing uh, uh sadist yeah yeah especially the way you like you catch on like at first you see he seems like a kindly old man that's trying to warn them away. And then even once you figure out like, Oh, you know, he's in on this, like, you know, he's, he's barbecuing people in this place and he's, he's familiar with all this. You think like, Oh, he's, he's a bit reluctant because, you know, I, I can't no, take no pleasure in killing and all that stuff. Um, but then you see the way he's saying all this stuff, but then he's, you know, he's poking Sally with the broom handle and, you know, getting off on hurting her at the same time as he's like, then, then, then he'll stop and talk himself down, like be like, "Oh, but I, you know, I'm are, are you okay?" And check in and you know, take it easy. It'll all be over, you know. <laughs> and trying to play like the, uh, 
you know, um, concerned old old fatherly figure, and uh, yeah, but his actions totally uh, are the opposite of that. So it, it's it's yeah, I think I think they're all good performances. Um, Edwin Neal's creepy. Um, the the van scene with him is the best. I think later he's he's not quite as effective, um, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I mean, I think the cast is, is great, especially considering that this was, you know, I, I don't remember what the, the budget was, um, but it they put it between 80000 and 140000 which is a pretty big range, so I don't know mm-hmm. where, you know, where it really lies, but certainly a low-budget movie. Well, one of the things that I, I didn't know about this, and I in, it's on Wikipedia and some other places, too, that, uh, you know, the co-writer, Kim Hinkle. Mm-hmm had said that as far as the inspiration for this movie, everybody brings up the serial killer, Ed Gein, uh, right, from Wisconsin, right. who, who there are some parallels with, with that. Um, yeah, basically the, the, the art aspect, you know, making things out of corpses. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually he said that it was a different serial murderer named Elmer Wayne Henley who was a, a, a major influence in this too, is a guy from Houston, um, who when he was arrested for murder, his response was, yeah, I did these crimes and I'm going to stand up and take it like a man. And which <laughs> Kim Hinkle said was really, really disturbing to him because it was like, wait, so now he's going to have morality <laughs> and take responsibility for his actions? He could have just not killed people. Um, but nope, no, nope, he's going to do the right thing. It's like mm, too late. Um, but that disconnect is present in all three of these characters. Mm-hmm. You know, this this kind of like they are just absolutely insane. Um, well, they certainly have their own you know moral code, whatever it may be. Um, mm-hmm. They certainly have convictions about meat and about the way it's produced and the way it's done and you know the, the that new humane air gun is no good and um you know things yeah. like that so there, there's things that are important to them and um especially the you know elder brother um seems to have you know some sort of moral conflict going on inside of him but but yeah certainly as a sadist just as much as the rest of them at the end of the day and i i really should say there's technically a fourth which is grandpa. Oh yeah, grandpa. Yep, there sure is. Who is barely alive. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they he drinks blood and they there's a scene where they try to have him uh kill Sally the same way he would have with, you know, a cow, which is with a yeah, hammer. With a sledge. But he like can't old even fashion. Yeah. But he can't even hold it. Um but it, meanwhile the three brothers are jumping around like like children hit her grandpa hit her and they're all excited um mm-hmm. you know in this it's, it's really scary it's, it's really about the time up. the movie takes off like stylistically as well until just like no holds barred crazy <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it's about the time oh. grandpa comes in yeah and the the, the close-ups of eyes and the the sound um everything oh, the- the sound and music in this is so highly effective, and I wrote, that's one of the things I wrote down too. Is that I forgot how great it is, um, mm-hmm. because the the score is like little stings of music and pieces of music that will build suspense here and there, but generally it's it's a non invasive score and, and and utilizes silence quite often. Um, 
sound effects and like dissonant sounds that I guess are part of the score essentially um, are used throughout one of them, the most famous probably being the sound of an old um, flashbulb from a camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so like those single use flashbulbs you see, if you're familiar with older cameras at all, like the, they'd put in, you know, put in the bulb, they'd flash it and uh, have to take it out um, and replace it to do another flash. Um, but they made a very distinct sound, which in the intro of the movie, which coincidentally is uh, narrated by John Larroquette, of all people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, in the intro of the movie, they use that sound effect. Uh, I, I forget what the word what the word is, but in context, I suppose, where it is actually a camera flash going off when you hear it. But then throughout the rest of the movie, it comes up now and then where it is used out of context. But for some reason, it's a highly effective sound. Um, yeah, it just mm-hmm. kind of gives you the creeps for some reason. And it's probably because of that first use of it in the in the beginning of the film where you're, it, you're, it's flashing. You're not sure what you're looking at. And all of a sudden you're looking at this like weird, you know, decaying corpse art thing that, <laughs> you know. Which uh, I, I do have to briefly tangentially share the story about yeah, when we I, were in college i almost brought that up myself <laughs> and we were driving around southern illinois in the middle of the night trying to find some bar club or something in the middle fred's of dance barn fred's dance barn some <laughs> some place that's out in the middle of the country and we're driving down dirt roads and we don't know where we are and our friend nick is in the back seat like oh yeah let's go find the place out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> making noise <laughs> of the flash bulbs from the beginning of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is yeah. one of my favorite college memories. So thank you, Nick, for that. Um, there was something I noticed about this movie, and it, it I don't think I would have noticed it, not only uh, in a previous watch, because I wasn't really paying attention like this, but also if I wasn't watching this movie with the subtitles on, which for mm. some reason has become the standard for everything. Um, yeah, because we're old. Because we're old. The very beginning of the movie, after the flashbulbs, and then you see the rotting corpse wired on top of a grave, mm-hmm. and it, the camera cuts to our, our five victims in the van driving down the road, and the, the film opens then with them opening the side of the van, and Franklin, who I should mention is in a wheelchair, they're getting him out so he can go to the bathroom on the side of the road. Um, but you hear their radio this entire time. Yeah, I noticed this as well, which is interesting because it was the first time I noticed as well. But go ahead, sorry. And and the subtitles are actually saying what the what the radio announcer is saying, and he's just reading off the news. Every single news story. He talks about the the grave robbing in Texas, which is why they're in Texas, why they're or why they're in this part of Texas. Um, as I mentioned, going to see their grandfather's grave. But every single story is a bizarre, violent, unexplained event. Yeah, it's like all murder and mayhem. Um, essentially, that's what I, at least the, the words I wrote down. It's, but I'm like, I wrote, like, yeah. this news report is interesting. It's, like, not actual news. It's just all, like, murder stories. Like, Yeah, it's like, well, one was, like, about a guy jumping out of a window because of a sports game, and then a few hours later, somebody else trying to jump out of the same window. Or a building collapsing, but they don't know why. I mean, it's just really odd. Yeah. Um, well, I think and, it's, again, it's setting tone, I think, is um, 
another reason it, it was yet another hint that this movie is so much better than you think it is even if you've seen it before like go back and you know look at what they what they were doing and how they set this this, this like atmosphere of suspense that pulls you through the first part of this movie and gets you to that point of like i yeah i don't know it's it's grueling to the like the the latter half of it because i think of the the delicate way that it's set up in the first part and this is it's little things like this i think that point to the fact that that is all intentional this wasn't accidentally um you know a memorable movie this wasn't accidentally a classic that everybody you know goes back to time and time again like this is you know these are these are competent filmmakers making um Mm-hmm. a you know <laughs> competent is not the the compliment i want to give it but but it's it's a well-made film i think there are certainly some some you know warts here and there that show through this being a low-budget movie but in general this, there's a lot of really great stuff behind yeah behind this so well yeah I, I think that one of the early taglines for the movie is you know the most brutal and bizarre crimes in america and yeah bizarre is definitely right i mean this is a movie where you have somebody stumble into a room and it's filled with furniture made out of human bones and there's chickens in cages suspended from the ceiling and mm-hmm. which i do want to point out that a majority of the bones used in this movie the human bones used in this movie were real yeah yeah so i read which is equally creepy um <laughs> there's something so, about that like th- th- i guess it's a set design thing but like the the way they decorated the the interior of the sawyer home um that just gives me the creeps to this day like if i walked into a place that, you know, probably because of this movie but if i walked into a place that looked like that i'd just be like ah, i'm out of here i'm not gonna go in there <laughs> i'm done <laughs> like um but it's it's the mix between like you know, hunter's trophy kind of like skeleton decoration. Um, and obviously, at first, the first part of this, you don't you don't catch on that it's you know human skeletons because out in the like main foyer of the house, I don't think it is. But um, and then also like the filth and just like the I don't know the feathers everywhere and there's just something just really creepy and the way the camera just gets down and dirty into it the way that it you know it wouldn't guts in a different kind of movie but like it just gets mm-hmm. down into the feathers and there's close-ups of all of this weird stuff and um i don't know it just sets an atmosphere that it, to me to this day is still sort of creepy and just done really well i don't know it's effective there there's yeah there's just some really God, I, I, it's it's a shame that, that Toby Hooper, of course, is no no longer with us because that he would just be a, it'd be great to sit down. I've got so many questions about <laughs> what inspired certain scenes, like the attic where you've got Grandpa, and mm-hmm. uh, I assume the rotting corpse of Grandma. Yeah, there is a Why? rotting female corpse. Yet, yet the yet the wallpaper is like pretty flowery mm-hmm. at the t- you know for the time. Like what the fuck inspired that? I assume Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so, but but you know it's just so goddamn disturbing. I also noticed shots that I didn't see, notice before, like all of the cars that are hidden by like a a, a camouflage netting behind the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like a whole bunch of VWs and stuff, which is something I I I think up until just this recent watch, I was under the impression that most of what they did was just grave robbing. And that the cannibalism was, like, not really a thing, but it's kind of implied, kind of not. Um, but now watching it, I'm like, oh, no, they do this a lot. Yeah. 
I, I, I would argue that the cannibalism is definitely implied, in fact, heavily. And it's really all just in that realization. Sally has that moment. Yeah. When she figures out that the elder brother, Drake, I'm going to keep calling him by names, even though the names don't come up till the sequel, which we'll talk about next week. But yeah. um, when she has the realization of what's really going on and the shots of her just looking between him and the sizzling meat and the door and like this, this, you know, the look in her eyes and on her face like that. You don't have to like tell me that's constructed in images yeah. to tell me what's going on there. And yeah, so I, I think it's totally there. Um, I think it's cool. That they don't have to like write out, say what's going on. But when it's also in the allegory about the slaughterhouse, I mean, starting with talking about the slaughterhouse showing the shots of the livestock even, and then, mm-hmm. you know, the conversation they have with the hitchhiker, the whole thing's about meat, the whole thing's about how, you know, animals are, are treated or, like, you know, the victims of meat, I guess. Um, and it's technically not a vegetarian film, as, as Toby Hooper, you know, himself said that uh, he, you know, went on to begin eating meat again. But he said when he was working on this thing, he had to stop. <laughs> And he actually did not eat meat while in production on this movie. Um, so, yeah, it's certainly something I think that was in their head at the time. I'm not sure this movie is saying, you know, it's it's not like a vegan um, manifesto or anything, but it's certainly evaluating something about um, the yeah. industry, mm-hmm. the, the meat industry, I would say. But... Now we are going to talk next week more about like the 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 immediate sequel, which I say immediate. It was filmed what like fourteen years later, yeah. um, but the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. But I want to briefly bring up the remake that came out in two thousand four, I think. Yeah, Marcus um, Nespel's remake is yeah, that who directed it? I think. Yeah. yeah, I think Michael Bay produced it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, with Jessica Biel. The... Yeah. That yeah. one has some very good suspenseful moments in it. But they changed the, the mythos a bit. Um, yeah. To instead of it being like what this is, it's they actually try to make these characters a little bit more sympathetic. Um, and there's a whole... The, the family is very different. In fact, they changed the name. It's the Hewitts rather than the... The yeah. Sawyers, which again, you don't learn their names until the second movie, but still, um, yeah, they they change things quite a lot. I don't know if you remember that one very well or had any any opinions of it. I do remember it okay because I think I saw it a couple of times in theaters uh, unintentionally. I went to see it, and then I think I feel like I had seen it, and then I think we went to see it again because we were in college when it came out. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I did. I saw it a couple of times, so yeah, I, I remember it fairly well. I don't remember disliking it entirely. Just thinking that, you know, much my my same criticism of um, like Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween, like all of this backstory and kind of sympathetic um, characterization of the villains of the film really hurt the like horrific aspects of the film. Um, it's no longer, I don't know, it's no longer quite as scary when you kind of feel sympathetic towards the uh you know antagonist Mm -hmm. but i don't know it that's kind of what i remember about it it certainly was wasn't poorly made or anything it just um 
at the end of the day, I, I feel like I do with a lot of remakes. Like, why did why did this happen? Like, it didn't add a whole lot to the mythos. It tried to recreate the mythos, actually. Um, and, you know, turned into a, a series of films itself. I guess enough people loved yeah. it that they, they still are going to see these movies. So, uh, Yeah, but. and this this one, though, it I still go back to how this one really changed horror, horror films mm-hmm. in a very, very impactful way. Well, it would be uh, what they would call a proto-slasher film, since it was a pre-Halloween slasher film. Yeah. Well, they certainly exist. I mean, they made about 100 of them in Italy prior to Halloween with the whole Jello, Jello. Yeah. Yeah, movies. And uh, um, certainly a couple of American films stand out and uh, prior to Halloween, and Texas Chainsaw probably being the most predominant one. But I, I mean, I would put this up there with Halloween for being uh kind of groundbreaking for the genre mm-hmm. yeah absolutely uh, this night of the living dead stuff like that uh the these are this one i it's it's strange you know in 2021 looking back on a film that came out in 1974 and realizing that prior to 1974 it wasn't like there were movies kind of like this there was nothing like this i mean this there's reports I mean, of people vomiting and running out of the theater screaming and shit like that and who knows there how. were movies like this but they didn't get seen outside of like adult movie theaters on 42nd street and like other like grindhouse cinema um yeah by 74 like i mean we're talking like what year did what, what year did blood feast come out or like the i mean there were certainly gore gore movies out there because uh, that was in the late 60s i believe um but this yeah, one went mainstream to a yeah. certain extent. Like, okay, early 60s, yeah. Um, but I think that's the difference, is this one went mainstream in a way. I mean, cer- certainly not. It probably wasn't playing at, like, you know, every, like, neighborhood movie theater in the Midwest or however it was distributed in 74. But it, it got the word out. And people were actually going to see this thing on a, like, mainstream level. So, yeah, I think for a lot of people, this was probably the first thing like this they had ever seen. And... Mm-hmm. Unlike a lot of like exploitation films and uh, the stuff, you know, that would kind of be comparable to it, like prior to, to Chainsaw Massacre, um, this one has, as ridiculous as the title kind of is and, and the, the marketing campaign, this one has a very realistic uh, feel to it that gets mm-hmm. under your skin and actually kind of leaves you shaken at the end of the movie. Um, I've seen it so many times I'm a little desensitized to it, but I still can watch how well it works and how, how it was that, you know, it is that effective, especially just the first time viewer. Um, so I think that that's there, that, that almost like nihilistic, um, no holds barred approach to, you know, essentially, although I wouldn't say this is torture porny at all. Like you're this whole latter part of this movie is just, just the torture and <laughs> of this poor girl that <laughs> just wandered into this situation. And I don't know if you really want to start breaking down other things it's about, I mean, meat's a big one, but I also think like violence towards women is certainly, um, something that we're, you know, they're going to take on. They dispose of the, the male characters pretty quickly. Um, but Sally, they sp- they pay special attention to and, uh, I think there's something to be said there again. I mean, that's something we certainly talked about a lot last week um, with the two Masters of Horror episodes we talked about. But 
um, I, that's something I don't think the filmmakers were, you know, unaware of, uh, that they were certainly, um, were, had something to say about that. They essentially, and I'm, I, I probably would regret saying this cause I'm sure I'm totally wrong. 1974, I'm thinking that Sally is one of our first quote unquote final girls and she mm-hmm. kind of sets up an entire, you know, archetype of a character that, that will go you know on throughout the 80s and 90s and slasher films uh but i don't think she has the like laurie strode type of like <laughs> um virgin perfection type character here she's just you know a normal like a person in a bad situation like there's nothing there's not a whole lot of moralizing or anything going on here these are just people that were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They didn't take the right advice at one point, you know. They didn't let yeah. the man tell them what to do. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty brutal, and it's a, it's effective. So, yeah, I guess I'm getting way away from what you were saying, but uh, I think that you're right. This was something new to most of America when this came out, and when it, when it opened up at, like, your your neighborhood movie theater and uh you hadn't you weren't a person that sought out you know went to the big city and sought out underground cinema and exploitation movies and and stuff like that that this was shocking i think this was new well i think also like the herschel gordon lewis splatter films you know the they they weren't very realistic uh, everybody could tell that was a, a dummy you know it was <laughs> right. a mannequin getting its head cut off with like a little bit of rubber gore thrown on it or you know overly overly mixed fake blood splattered around water and shit <laughs> some pig this, guts and stuff yeah. some pig guts and stuff like that yeah th- this one i mean the fact that you don't really see a lot it leaves so much more up to the imagination but it's the pacing of it and like you said it's the realism of this and it's it's wrong place wrong time and there is no negotiating with these i mean she there's a part in this it's it's really uncomfortable but she's sitting there just, you know strapped to a chair at the dinner scene and she's begging like i'll do anything let me go let me go and they're just laughing yeah they're just laughing uncontrollably well and also i think that 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 clues you into what the, you were talking about before like the fact that this this is not their first rodeo i mean <laughs> you know. yeah um yeah, not the I first got... time they've dealt with this sort of a situation, right? And so it's well, and then uh, you know, I I tried to when I was rewatching this, like, oh yeah, but you know, the old guy, the older brother Drayton, you know, he's like in the beginning telling him not to go, not to go. It's like, yeah, but this guy not that realized he's not following any logical pattern. Yeah, he's probably saying, "Don't go." Hope they go. You know, he, there there is. And personally, this is something I, I personally find really, really scary, is that a situation that is completely devoid of reason. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe that's a, a controlling issue with me. <laughs> it's, I want things to make sense. Right. Um, you want to know the reason why. It's that it's that thing that like every time there's an atrocity that happens and the news media yeah. starts to cover it the first thing they start talking about is well we we're really trying to understand why we wanted the motive of the you know of whatever um and it's like okay well what if there's not one i mean i think that scares everybody 
That's yeah. why we immediately go to that. Why? Well, why did he do that? Why did so? You know, why did so and so act that way? Um, and if there that's, isn't a reason, yeah. like yeah, that, that's, yeah, uh, and and that's why this level of crazy. I don't, I don't, I don't want to even you know use a clinical term or anything like that. Right. Um, just this level of insane, just crazy, is so terrifying. And you know. It, I think it's one of the things we, we've talked about a lot of themes and, and, and stories and stuff over the years on, on the show. Like Lovecraft comes up a lot. Madness is a common thing with, with that. Something so horrifying, you compl- it breaks your brain, right? Um, mm. Which is a great literary concept <laughs> to get out right. of describing something. And in this case, it works to explain, well, like you just said, what if there is no reason? They're hungry that's what yeah you know, it's the way they've always done things there's a, certainly a tradition can. thing going on there too which yeah. is really scary now i think with the rise of you know conservative extremism um mm-hmm. yeah now anyway, the, the, the other films that, <laughs> well and and you know next week we are going to talk about texas chainsaw massacre part two um but there's a lot of sequels in this franchise mm-hmm. and they are all i mean they all kind of follow the same general idea because it's a crazy family of cannibals and one of them wears a human skin mask yeah i think this Um, year the ninth film in this series is coming out so there'll be nine of these and i think i've seen them all or i may not have seen all in the the remake yeah i definitely have i think the remake was the most recent one i've seen so i've seen you know, I've never seen the third Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Come to think of it, I just added it to my Amazon wish list today after starting the second because I was like, I don't think I've ever seen the third one, and I haven't. So, anyway, I know I've seen Sorry that one, um, you, but... and I've seen Next Generation, and it, yeah, the, but I don't think any of them have captured the the true brutality and insanity of this first one, both in oh. in the way that they pace it in the way they use sound, in the way they use all of the aforementioned um, uh, claims. This is one, personally, uh, the accolades are appropriate. Yeah. Well, it, this this is worth the, the praise that it gets for being a, an iconic film. It's disturbing. It's a hard watch. I find it hard. I found this one harder to watch than ever before. Um, and I don't know why, but <laughs> this still gives me the fucking creeps. Yeah, same here. And uh, not many movies do. This is one of them that pulls it off. And I, I think to your point about like why doesn't the why don't ever the sequels tap into that? It's because I'm not sure you could do it twice. I, I think you know franchises like uh, Halloween's one of them has never really been able to to tap into what was so great about the first movie. And that's because you can't tap into this like there is no why thing twice because you have to write a whole other movie. Mm-hmm. And what do you write a whole other movie on? If you don't have, you know, if you're not telling more of a story, uh, so, I mean, I think I think you do. You you have a trap where you have to start talking about the whys. You know, who are these people and what are they doing? So immediately in the sequel to this, and obviously we're going to get to that. I won't spend much time, but that's exactly what they do: is they give you more of who are these people, and that right away changes the tone. They become yeah. more of a cartoon. They become more of a you know, and it's fun. I mean, it's a different kind of movie, but. Um, that's why you can't replicate the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's why you can't ever make another Halloween 
because the the gimmick of those movies is that it didn't make sense. Like you couldn't like explain away what was happening. It was just it was happening to you. You have to deal with that, you know, situation. So um yeah, I don't know. Like it, the only other thing I could think of is movies like um I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Open Water <laughs> or like, yeah. Um, yeah. What's the other one? The more recent one with Blake Lively where she's stuck on a rock with the sharks. The, and sha- stuff, the Shallows. Yeah, The Shallows. Um, this was really good. <laughs> Force of Nature type movies like that is the only thing I could compare this to because that's what these characters are. They're the sharks, you know? They're like, they don't have that human, you know, they don't have the, that ability for us to understand them. They are. I don't, I don't want to say they're animals necessarily, but they are totally alien to us because they're, um, they just There's, don't make sense on the ways that we can understand. And I think one of the things that makes this effective compared to some of the films that came out after, um, is, is the fact that, and this is something else that, that Toby Hooper wrote about with this film is he, he was so kind of disappointed with, the honesty in America and in the world at the time about Watergate and Vietnam and all these other things. He wanted, he felt like humans were the worst monsters and he just wanted to put a mask on a human monster in this one. Um, which is, you could make the same argument for Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the fact that these are to some degree normal looking people. Um, I mean, the hitchhiker's creepy looking, but he looks like a guy you would see walking down the road and be like, I'm not picking him up. <laughs> right. Um, you know, Leatherface is wearing a mask, so there's that. I don't know what's behind that. Um, you know, but I, I, in 1977, Wes Craven came out with The Hills Have Eyes, which is one we really should review on here sometime. Yeah. Um, and that is effective, too, in a very similar way, because... It's a crazy clan family out in the desert. Mm-hmm. And by clan, I don't mean like KKK. I mean just like a desert-dwelling clan. Tribe, almost. Tribe, tribe, yeah. really, yeah. Um, of just crazy people. Now, they remade that in, I believe, 2006? Yeah, somewhere around there, when all of these remakes were coming out. Because somewhere contemporary to the Chainsaw Massacre remake. And, and you know what? I didn't mind... The remake of Hills Have Eyes, and I won't go into it too much. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but they actually do a explanation. But it works. It works pretty well. The problem with that remake, and that's what a problem with a lot of these remakes do, um, or or kind of inspired ones, is they they really take the people, your your sharks, right, and they turn them into monsters. I think of the movie um, Wrong Turn. The Stan mm-hmm. Winston film about yep. a crazy group of hillbillies, but you look at them; they're like mutants, you know. Yeah, they're beyond cl- hill. Yeah, there, there, there's clearly a lot of uh, makeup there. There's not in this. Like these could be people you would see. Hills have eyes. People you might run it. They're human, and it's something Wes Craven did a lot with his films. Of course, around this time is showing the real monsters are just brutal human beings. And I think this is what started it, as far as just, like, really in the modern sense of, yeah, these are just brutal, horrible, monstrous people, but they're people. They're not mutants. They're not 
enhanced. They're just insane. And it's truly, truly terrifying. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you have any final thoughts or a well, grade for this one? I mean, a grade, I think obviously. We, <laughs> we have, you know, spent a long, almost an hour now just praising this film. And I think we... We might want to talk about one aspect that if somebody's going to walk into this thing without ever having experienced again uh, or experienced it before, might notice and uh, be like, oh, what the hell are they, you know, talking about? This is such a great movie. And that is the character of Franklin. Oh, God. I think we need to, yeah. <laughs> we need to spend a moment on uh, the performance um, of Fra- Franklin is a, a, they call him an invalid, which is totally not appropriate uh, i don't think anymore so uh but it's a handicapped character who for reasons unknown whether he was born handicapped or not, but it does not have the use of his legs it does not ever um take the tone that he is um it just because of when this was made but that he is he is a veteran or has or is mm-hmm. uh injured from any you know service so um the actor who played franklin um, whose name is Paul Partain, I believe. Um, certainly made an interesting, a lot of interesting choices with the way to play this character. And obviously there's some, certainly, I don't know how much of this was written in the screenplay and how much he's getting from Hooper as the director. Um, but yeah, Franklin is among the most obnoxious characters, I think, in horror movie history. He gets up there. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, oh yeah. He whines a lot. Yeah, um, he's just generally I, unpleasant. Like it's hard to gauge whether that is supposed to be something with him regarding um his his mental state. Um like uh whether he may have uh some something with his personality uh, mm-hmm. because he he seems to not really get it sometimes. Like some of the the he whines a lot. He actually he acts like a child. Yeah, he's very yeah. very childlike and um, kind of like a, a bratty kid. Uh, he he's he's constantly whining to Sally and he changes the subject randomly and you know, all that being said, yeah, he's an annoying character. <laughs> um, not I don't yeah, know if I... it gets to the level where it's like you want to see him get killed. That's I wouldn't go that far. But no, because I think you pity him a little bit, but yeah yeah i and i tried to take the you know a different view on it i just didn't you know like watching it as a younger person i just didn't get it like i'm like why you know why is this character here why did why is he so overdone and like um why is he so you know obnoxious and um i tried to watch it a little differently and see if i could get something out of it and I'm still not sure what I think they were going for with Franklin. It's a bit of a miss, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, it's just a interesting kind of wart on this movie is that I think that, and maybe it's uh you know in performance or whatever. But yeah, Franklin's. Uh, do you think a that any much. of Do you think that any of Franklin's performance was intended to be comedy? Um maybe if it was it doesn't really hit mm-hmm. like it's it's not ever funny it's and i just don't see this movie as bleak as this movie is it, it you know them trying to have any humor um i don't know yeah yeah i, I tried i tried to um 
feel for Franklin this time around and uh, still didn't <laughs> really get there. So um, he still just yeah. seemed kind of like a petulant child that, um, I mean, character wise, I'm sure he's, he's, he's certainly, you know, still painted better than your average disposable Friday the 13th sequel type character. Um, but he's just, he, he's a, an obnoxious person. So maybe that's, maybe that's actually a compliment to the screenwriters that he, he is a distinct character. So certainly the most memorable of them besides the, the of the, you know, protagonists, I guess the victims of the movie, but, um, anyway, mm. yeah, I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely, uh, a hard pill to swallow while sitting through this one um but in none of the other the other two characters uh pam and kirk are kind of they're just kind of there i mean yeah. like, really a lot of the characters are just you're, you're not getting a lot of depth from from them and that's pretty typical around this time though with with horror films um you know you're you're van load of teens or cannon fodder for whatever the the killer creature or whatever is no yeah uh, it gets a lot worse in the 80s as we truck into the 80s like it definitely does um but uh oh, this one it once it once you get past like the 45 minute mark on this one when it really picks up like you said before, everything in this movie changes. The cinematography, the the music, the tone, the pacing, everything changes. Um, mm. And it go, it really descends down into madness. Um, in fact, in, in the beginning of the sequel, when they do a little recap, they describe it as like a window into hell. And I would say that's appropriate. Not, yeah. not in a literal sense of any biblical sense, but it's it's fucked up. But as of, you know, somebody surviving the... Because the, yeah. it's in reference to is Sally's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody surviving that sort of ordeal or the trauma that that would inflict. I think window into hell is probably putting it lightly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, overall, I mean, gosh, this movie totally changed the way that uh, chainsaws are used in films. Um, <laughs> oh, God, viewed. yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and barbecue as well. So yeah, we talked about that before we started recording. But uh, a thought that came across because watching this movie over the weekend, as well as you know working outside with a chainsaw for a good portion of my weekend, um, we, we were joking around about uh, if you've ever tried to work with a gas-powered chainsaw before. Uh, I'm sure everybody has had trouble starting it because I've never tried to start one that just you know started right up. So I was wondering what they're you know what the Sawyer clan's trick is here, because they seem to get those things fired up in no time. Uh, in fact, instantaneously enough to have, you know, jump scares and stuff. So <laughs> I would and, say uh, probably, uh, I mean, what else do you do when you're not chopping people up and cooking them? It's probably small engine repair. Yeah, they just keep them in perfect running order, I suppose. I mean, obviously that house is dilapidated. It's being run off a generator. You got to keep that thing going because they show the generator. That's clearly not 1974. That thing was old. Yeah, so, man. yeah, somebody's got to fix that. I'm sure Leatherface is pretty good at tinkering with shit too. Yeah, I like that. Just, that's a good. That's a good headcanon explanation for. <laughs> yeah, the reason they can fire up the chainsaw so fast is you know that's probably how they make some supplemental income when they're not selling human barbecue is small engine repair. 
Hey, there you go. Now I got to go back and watch it again and see if there's a sign <laughs> at the gas station that's a small engine repair. I do want to briefly mention that the gas station from this movie is now a motel. Ah, yes, I did read that. And you can actually stay there. And I think they show random horror movies outside on like a projector screen, sometimes this one. Um, yeah. That would be a pretty intense road trip. Yeah, it, um, while you're at it, the uh, farmhouse used in this film was uh, moved from where it was originally shot in La Frontera, Texas, was mm-hmm. moved, relocated the entire house to Kingsland, Texas, and then restored as a restaurant, which I believe is still in business, or at least was um, recently. So you could do a whole Texas Chainsaw, you know, tour there, you know, check out the gas station, go eat at the, go eat in Leatherface's house, you know, so sounds good. I'm sure the barbecue is great there. So. Honestly, how comfortable <laughs> would you be doing that? I don't know. It depends how... Um, I'd certainly try it out, but uh, it would certainly be an experience. I'm not sure I'd want to eat anything, you know, meat-related, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. That's something I've just always thought about. Like, it's it's one thing to be like, I'm going to go check that hotel out. I'm going to go check out that house. And you get there, and you're like, I don't know. Now I, now I remember the movie. Um, <laughs> it'd just be a little, a little uncomfortable. I mean, I'm sure I'd be fine with walking through it. I don't know if I'd want to, like, hang out there all day, but, you know, it's... Yeah, 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 and I, you know, I'm sure. I have a pretty any... good separation between, you know, a movie and, and reality, but still, I mean, it depends how much it looks like, you know, the movie. So there's always that little, that little, you know, hair in the back of the neck thing. Just oh yeah, gets under your skin. This this movie gets under my skin enough. I where... I agree. This is one that it just it does it. It gets in there, and it, it's still to this day. I've seen this thing probably not as many times as you have, but I've seen it more than five at this point i think but and it's still effective like it's still creepy so that's saying something i think it's it's got staying power it's uh um before we close this off i did want to say one one other thing and that is um that we didn't get to talk about we didn't talk about much like uh, the film coming out and kind of its reception and everything but this thing was marketed um and maybe not all the way up to i was going to say in blair witch fashion but uh, maybe not quite to that extent, but was marketed as based on a true story, which is only right. in the most lo- loose sense of the word true, as in Kim Henkel, you know, had done some reading on some serial killers and, you know, came up with this idea. Um, but yeah, it was marketed as like the true story of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, you know, the, the, the opening crawl that John Larroquette reads for the movie um i think people seeing this actually really thought this was based on a real story um so i think that i mean if you can remember back to blair Witch, i know there's a lot of people that can't stand that movie but the the buzz around that and when you saw it on opening day um if you saw it around then before it kind of came out what it was which i i managed to see it before the the bubble was burst 100 um there was still this like doubt in the back of your head like this you know is this real like is it they're saying it's real is it really real uh so i think that 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 kind of had some effect on people too um right and obviously it's a genius way to to market a movie and um kind of going back to you know the good old uh william castle um slash 
you know, H.G. Lewis, uh, all the way down to, you know, uh, Empire Pictures even did pulled some of that stuff, like marketing, you know, stuff with Barth bags and whatever. So um, I don't know if they did any of that stuff with theaters in this one, but yeah, there were stories about people passing out, vomiting, running, running from theaters. Um, yeah, it was a kind of a, and I, I think we, we did go into it earlier about why, but we didn't kind of get to any of the stories of, of that. And yeah, I think yeah. It, it had a major impact. And I think every time somebody did that, or every time you got an account of like somebody passed out because they were frightened, so so frightened by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they just, you know, the guys, guys who made this movie have to be like, yeah, <laughs> then we just sold a thousand more tickets at a thousand more locations. Like, yeah. Well, and I, so. I think you're, you really hit it too with the, because I know personally that affected me for it too, was the, this is supposedly based on a true story. And then there's, you know, all you gotta do is mention Ed Gein. And mm. everybody's like, oh, but it's really not. Um, no, I mean, it, it's, it, let's put it this way. Um, and, and this is still a gross oversimplification, but Cannibal the Musical is more accurate to the story of Alfred Packer <laughs> than yeah. this is to anything. Um, that Again, means, yeah, they just uh, borrowed a couple of little details from that case and that that's right it. yeah um the grave robbing and some stuff like that but it and the the building stuff and making the building clothing, stuff yeah, like yeah. furniture and things so yeah there it, it's and i don't want to downplay that because that's fucking gruesome enough yeah um but yeah the entire story itself isn't but uh tremendous legacy though with this film though not just with you know that kind of word of mouth stuff but in spinoffs and inspiring inspiring other films and yeah and, and so toby on. hooper went on to have a long and successful career in cinema and uh coming off of the fame of the, you know this one so yeah yeah this one i think got him a couple of films and i was this his first film it was his first feature length, I believe, and he went on to make two other low-budget horror films uh, after this, uh, as this was kind of like slinking around in, um, I don't know, you know, before it became the legend that and spread everywhere and people were seeing it, and then all of a sudden he, you know, he really took off to the point where, you know... Um, years later he's working for with steven spielberg on poltergeist and he's doing big big budget stuff so yeah i don't think uh it happened right away for him because post texas chainsaw massacre he did you know the movies eaten alive and funhouse and which if you've seen those are, are certainly not a whole lot higher budget than yeah chainsaw but well yeah. I, I just read to technically his first movie was in 1969 it was a psychedelic kind of movie called eggshells oh, okay. um and then he did a actually did a documentary about peter paul and mary <laughs> oh right okay i think i actually knew that one so but and we've we've actually reviewed you know invaders from mars mm -hmm. um but yeah he he did an, an and really did have an incredible career but this is the one that really really yeah. solidified i think this was the first movie he wrote directed and produced um the only movie he wrote directed and produced My, apparently yeah well, we also covered, yeah, he did Salem's Lot, which we covered that yeah, we, version as well. This is the third Toby Hooper movie we've done. I didn't realize that until I, you know, you just listed them, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, awesome. 
Any, uh, do you have a grade for this one? Though I kind of already know what it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, we've been showing our hands on this one, so I won't, I won't take long, so I've said most of my things. But yeah, to this day, still effective. Um, still, is it cliche to, cliche to say it's still shocking? Because I still think the shocks work. It's not that I don't know what's coming. I've seen it, but um, but yeah, all, all of it works. It is a relentless movie, and that's... That's a weird thing to say because the first 45 minutes are kind of at a slow pace, but like once this thing gets its fangs in you, it does not let up until it, I mean, those credits are rolling and you're just kind of like, you know, eyes wide, edge of your seat, like, oh shit, that just happened. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I would say this thing is a fun house of horrors and, you know, Toby Hooper's going to go on to do that, try to do that literally in a couple of films down from here, but, um... This is an absolute must-see if you're a horror film fan, and if you haven't, if you were me when I was 18, you know, walking around saying I was a horror film fan without having seen this, um, do take the time because it's it absolutely to this day is effective and still worth all of all of your 83 minutes, which is not a huge investment. So, um, yeah, this one's an A, absolutely solid A. Uh, Franklin's gonna not give it the plus, but it's an A. <laughs> No, it's it's just so good. It's it's almost perfect. I'm I'm gonna echo all of that. I'm I don't know what more there is to say other than this this movie is still scary as shit. Um more again, more so now I think for some reason at, at my age now than, than it was when I was a kid. Um but it's I'm I'm pretty lenient with like what I'll let my kids watch. Rewatching this one the other night, I was just like, Nope. No, they don't need to see this yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, and yet, you know, again, there's, it's not very gory. There's no, like, you know, bad language or real, you know, there's no nudity or anything. It's just brutally horrifying. And it's, you're right, it's relentless. Once it gets going, like, that whole buildup is ominous. Like, the first half of this movie is 45 minutes of suspense. And then the, the other half is just unrelenting nightmare fuel Mm -hmm. um and even even franklin can't like you said as for annoying as that character is he can't ruin it (laughs) uh so yeah i'm gonna give this one an a texas chainsaw massacre is still scary as hell uh so well done toby hooper kim henkel for changing horror (laughs) and giving us this gem holy shit and then they return in next week, we'll be talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, which is very different. Um, yes, it is. Very much an <laughs> 80s movie, so that'll be a fun one, too. But we would love to hear any of your thoughts on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, please feel free to share any of those questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms to the Video Junkyard Podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at the Video Junkyard Podcast main page or our Facebook group. Find us on Twitter at Video Junk Pod or find the Video Junkyard Podcast pages on Instagram and Pinterest. Uh, please feel free to share any of your thoughts, and you can find this one on Tubi as well. And coming up, as Joe just said, we'll be checking out the sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, followed by the 1990s uh, Mick Garris-directed miniseries of Stephen King's The Stand. Um, yeah, I can check that one out. That's another thing from my youth that I remember just watching the hell out of. So, <laughs> Yeah, and then after that, I think we're going to be kind of getting back to some other 
stuff maybe on Tubi or maybe not. And we've kind of kicked around that idea a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, I think Tubi is always going to be a a, a go to for us. <laughs> they yeah, uh, as long as it's available. certainly have a good selection of stuff, and uh, it's it's free, which I like to do, so that everybody out there listening can can watch along without having to you know spend anything or track down a copy of the DVD or whatever. So it's, right, but yeah, I both wanna... Texas Chainsaw Massacres are both available on Tubi. Um, so if you do want to watch along, please do. And we want to thank you once again for checking out the Video Junkyard Podcast. Feel free to share around if you like what you've heard. And until next time, I'm Joe Peterson. And I'm Eric Branson. Look what your brother did to that dog! You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend. You just can't let them go? Go! Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash videojunkyardpodcast on Twitter at videojunkpod and on Instagram as videojunkyardpodcast all one word. want to thank you again for listening. And keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard.